Hey, doll. I'm your host, Cynthia. And I'm your host, Paula. And we are Dolls Dolls and Doom. Doom. We're going to do something a little different today. Yeah. We decided that we would just take maybe four or five of our favorite cases and just kind of break them down give a short little um description of what happened and maybe talk about our theories just have a little chit chat session yeah just free form yeah paula why don't you start all right so john wayne gacy oh okay so normally he worked as a building contractor and performed at charity functions and children's hospitals as Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That he was like a child's entertainer. Right. And I wonder if he did that specifically to have the easy access. I don't know, but I do know that um, serial killers often have a fascination with clowns. Oh, okay. That several serial killers, in fact, I want to say all, but I could be wrong. We know there are some behaviors that all serial killers have, and clowns may not be one of them, but it is very, very common that a lot of serial killers have this fascination with um, drawing clowns or acting like a clown, behaving like um, dressing up as a clown, performing as a clown. It's strange, isn't that? That is very interesting. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So, interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, John Wayne was also active in his community as a Democratic Party precinct captain, which, first of all, that's a long title. And second, it sounds like he was either high up in that. That sounds like something like really official that he'd have to go to all those meetings and really participate. So I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. Unfortunately, he's also known for assaulting and murdering at least 33 young men and boys inside his home. Crazy. Yeah. He would lure them inside by claiming to do magic tricks. And then once the victim was inside his house, he talked them into putting on handcuffs. And then, of course, he would torture and rape them and then usually kill them by asphyxiation or strangulation. He was just a bad, bad, bad guy. Yeah. That's, do you remember what years he was active I don't or like the range well i know that he was um sentenced to death in 1980 okay so i'm guessing at least 10 years before that okay that's what i was thinking i was thinking he was active in like the 70s but yeah. i wasn't positive yeah yeah and it was all boys he went after boys and and young guys right, right. but yes. uh, late children right yeah yeah it's very scary mm-hmm. he's a bad guy So 26 victims were buried in the crawl space of his house. Three were somewhere else on the property. And four were disposed of in the Des Des Plaines River. Okay. So, like, I know that serial killers are not your normal people. And they are not bothered by things that most of us would find disturbing. But, like... What kind of person can sleep at night knowing there are literally bodies buried in your walls, like in right. your house? Right. Like, I would imagine that even the cruelest, coldest, most disgusting human being would still be disturbed by that. Right. You would think so. I mean, that is freaky. Yeah. 
Ugh. Clearly, we are not serial killer material. (laughs) (laughs) We are not. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. I remember growing up, um, so my dad works in law enforcement, um, and I had this unhealthy obsession with, uh, I say unhealthy, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I've had this unhealthy obsession with serial killers and true crime since I was a child, and that's why I would say it was unhealthy is because <laughs> it started young. But I do remember um, back when I was very little, all serial killers were men. Now I think that they have changed that, and there are some women that fall into the category oh, yeah. of serial killers. But it's still considered pretty rare. Yes. But, yeah, um, so there's another thing that that keeps us from being serial killers, at yeah. least. <laughs> We're women. Yeah. He got the electric chair, did, did he not? Was it electric chair? Let lethal injection on May 10th, 1994. Okay. Well, so not that long ago. Yeah, really. I, I, I mean, I guess it actually was like 25 years ago. Right. But... <laughs> But not that long ago. Okay. Right. Yeah, I remember him. He was a bad guy. Yeah. All right. What's another one you got? So another one I have is the dating game killer. I've never even heard of that. Okay. So you know how most serial killers, they've had a kind of a traumatic childhood. Maybe sure. they only have one parent and that parent is abusive or their schooling is not a happy experience they've got bullies and stuff well this guy is exactly the opposite so he had a pretty normal and happy childhood i mean his father left when he was young but he had a loving mother and siblings um his school was great he had friends and he was described as a sweet and kind young man but it wasn't until rodney james alcala joined the army as a clerk but in 1964 he had a nervous breakdown and went awol and so then he went back to his mother's house in Los Angeles. So something happened in the army, and he snapped. Did he um, like was he? Did he serve in any wars or any battles or anything like that? No, he was a clerk. So I'm I'm guessing like that's a desk job. Oh, because I know. I mean, there's some bad stuff. Oh yeah, that soldiers see sometimes, and that's completely understandable to have a nervous have. breakdown. Yeah, but as a clerk, I don't see that you'd really. I wouldn't assume that you would see any real action. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe he had trouble with other people there. You did mention he was raised by his mother and his father wasn't around. Right. Um, That is another thing that a lot of serial killers have in common is an absentee father and an overbearing mother. Right. Now, it doesn't sound like she was necessarily overbearing. No, she was, you know, she was a nice, kind, loving mother. And loving. But, um, yeah, those, those absentee dads and overbearing moms can sometimes lead to trouble <laughs> recipe for serial yes. killer children yes <laughs> watch out i know <laughs> i try not to be too overbearing because i always think keep that in mind because i can at times have a strong personality and my husband's much more laid back definitely not absentee he's very involved father but i can be overbearing and i do keep that in the back of my mind like that is not um healthy environment for kids i just don't see you as the overbearing type of personality and I'm not there when you're, you know, with your children, so I don't see what you see, but I I would never describe you as overbearing. Well, and I will say, as a parent, I'm not. As a parent, like, these are my babies. And, and in fact, I'm actually kind of the opposite. I'm actually very, very lax 
parent probably too too much so I'm pretty soft but you don't think I'm overbearing in life I would never describe you with that word okay well good that that's good because you know how you think you think of your own faults and you're oh, like of course you that's know, all I think of. <laughs> yeah. So I would be like, oh, I'm a lot. I'm a, I'm a lot. I'm probably too much for most people. See, I wouldn't say that about you at all. Okay. Well, good. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, thanks for, thanks for that. taking a side trip with us. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> Take a sharp we, left. Hey, listen, guys, this, there's no script. This is just an outline. We're just ch- chit-chatting here. So <laughs> who knows what you're going to get. So Rodney James, um, his first known crime was the beating and raping of an eight-year-old girl in his apartment who thankfully got away. Wow. How do you, an eight-year-old? Eight-year-old. And the cops got there just in time to save her life because she was basically choking and they said that there was way too much blood for someone of her size. I mean, she was eight years old. Wow. And she was still in the apartment when they got there? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So in order to evade police, he changed his name to John Berger and enrolled in NYU film school, where he even studied under Roman Polanski. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's another interesting case. Yeah, for sure. In 1987, he was on the game show Dating Game. A fellow bachelor said he was, quote, a very strange guy and had bizarre opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that, that... That sounds about right for a serial killer. Oh, yeah. I've actually seen a clip of him on the show, and his answers are just loaded with sexual innuendo. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, at one point, she asks him, like, oh, actually, number one, if you were a food, like, what food would you be? And he said, I'm a banana. And she's like, oh, give me more. And he said, peel me. It's just the way that he <laughs> says it. It's just, oh, it's so creepy. And I would automatically, if I were, if I were on that show, like, I'd be like, you know what? If you're going to open up with that kind of innuendo and just like I'm already not interested yeah he, he she didn't pick him did she actually <gasps> she did she did she absolutely did but she was smart enough to listen to her intuition that she thought he was creepy and she told the producers I'm not gonna go out with this guy I just have a bad vibe wow so good for listen her. to your instincts always always listen to your yeah I feel like our we Our guts tell us so much. Mm -hmm. And so many times we try to ignore it because we feel like we're overreacting or it's not very nice or we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or... No. Listen to your gut. Yeah. When it comes to your safety, no one's feelings are more important. Right. Oh, good for her. Yes. Absolutely. I wonder why she picked him, though, if he creeped her out. Or maybe he didn't creep her out until after... Yeah, because she can't see him. The way that it was set up, they had a partition. Uh Uh-huh. So the bachelorette was on one side of this little wall. She can't see them. And then on the other side are the three bachelors. Okay. So all she can do is hear their voice. Okay. So it wasn't until she, like, saw him that... Right. It's it's like, which one do you choose? I pick bachelor number one or whatever number Uh he was. And then the partition goes up, and then she can see all three of them. Okay. Was he good-looking? Not in my opinion. Okay. (laughs) But he was described as as good-looking. Okay. I'll have to Google him. In 2016, he was charged for murder of a girl in a photo from 1977. And he was sentenced to death and received an additional 25 years to life after pleading guilty to 200 murders. Wow. And the actual account of his victims is unknown. Like, they found this locker with all these photos because that was his shtick. He would walk around with a camera around his neck and be like, hey, mind if I take your photo? 
Okay. And then sometimes he would get these girls to his house and be like, oh, let's do a photo shoot. And a lot of them were very sexually explicit. And when they found this locker of all of his stuff, because a lot of these sickos like to keep memorabilia from their kills. Sure, souvenirs. And he had a locker with all of these photos. And so they would go back and look at the photos and discover that these are the girls that went missing, supposedly. And now they're obviously his victims. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's creepy. I just started watching... Making a Murderer again. Oh, yeah. Rewatching it. That was good. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Um, it was like the first in recent years, the first like true crime docuseries I'd watched in a while. It was so good. So I just started, I watched it when it first came out, but I, I think this is like my third watching of it now. Okay. So if you're not familiar, it's um, the story of Stephen Avery who is like a small town they're considered kind of like a low class family okay so the the Avery family um they just weren't well liked by locals they own like a junkyard and they're just you know they're just people who maybe didn't have the highest educations some of them had found themselves in trouble with the law and, and things like that and they just were not well liked by their community and Stephen Avery was convicted of raping a woman. And he went to prison and served, I believe it was 18 years in prison for this rape before he was then exonerated by DNA. He did not rape her. He had been in prison for 18 years for a crime he didn't commit. And even the the woman who was raped the victim came out and said apologized and it was proven that while he had been in prison they they found this evidence by they i mean the the sheriff's office and the the investigators who sent him to prison in the first place they found this evidence that exonerated him and they kind of hid it oh. um yeah and he could have been let let out much sooner like it was it became pretty clear that he was not guilty but so frustrating right they hit it so by the time he finally got out first of all i think he was awarded like twenty five thousand dollars per year that he was in prison which because he'd been in prison for 18 years was several hundred thousand dollars but in the scheme of things 25 grand for a year of your life in prison that's not very much no at all like that's nothing so he was awarded several hundred thousand dollars and Needless to say, he was not friendly with, like, the sheriff and the the law enforcement in the area. And they weren't fans of his either. So, years go by. He files a lawsuit against the county to try to get um, even more money. I don't blame him. Right. Me neither. And in the middle of the lawsuit, another woman goes missing. And she just happens to be a woman. She worked for a magazine, like an auto trader magazine. And again, the Averys, they sold like used cars. They had a, a like a junkyard. And she was a photographer for this magazine. She came out to take pictures of the vehicles so that they could then be listed in this magazine um, in an effort to, to sell them. And she'd been on the property before. Uh, this is not her first time there, but... The last known place she ever was was on the Avery property working with Stephen Avery 
on this vehicle he was trying to sell. Well, she goes missing. And within a few days, you know, they find her vehicle. It's on the property. It's on the Avery property. It's in a weird place. Like of all the thousands of vehicles on the property, this one was kind of easy to find. It was covered up with some branches and stuff to make it look like someone had tried to hide it. But at the same time, it wasn't really hidden. It was yeah, almost they didn't like, do a good job. It was almost more conspicuous, <laughs> like drawing attention to it. And the crazy thing was Steve and Avery had literally just been using the car crusher that he had a crusher the day before. So if you were to kill some a woman and you had access to a machine that would crush her car, which is a pretty big piece of evidence, wouldn't you crush it? Absolutely. Well, instead, this car is just sitting on his property. And inside are a couple drops of his blood. The police end up searching his home several times. And on like the sixth or seventh search, they end up finding in his single white trailer, so it's not a huge house, the key to her car. They found this in his bedroom by a bookshelf that has been searched many, many times. Right. So it kind of like magically showed up. Right. So he's saying he was framed by the police by the law enforcement the law enforcement who by the way wasn't even supposed to be working on this case because they had an an open a a pending lawsuit against them so that's the whole thing you have to watch the documentary uh, to really know what's going because there's so many like twists and turns but overall the the big question is did he kill this woman or did the you know law enforcement local law enforcement frame him and the the big kicker was he had a um i guess like a learning disabled nephew who was interrogated and ended up confessing but later recanting his confession and you can tell you can watch the confession on the document you can tell that this guy he was coerced absolutely and he he honestly thinks like that he he says that they murdered this woman and then literally says okay now can i go? now can i go home i told you what you want me can i go home now like he really right. thought that he was going to confess this and go home they've kept him for so anyway that's the in a nutshell so the big question is did he do it or is he being framed what are your thoughts paula i really felt like he was being framed even just with the key that they didn't see the five or six times when they searched and magically on the seventh time oh look there's a key Right. To her car. And it appeared when this one particular officer, who, again, was not supposed to be there, showed up, did not sign in. There was, like, a list for people to sign in when they arrived and when they didn't. Mm -hmm. And whenever anybody from this, I think it's Manitowoc County, whenever anybody from Manitowoc County, the one who was involved in the lawsuit, arrived, they were supposed to have been being watched by another local law enforcement agent just to keep everything on the up and up just to cover everybody's butt kind Mm -hmm. of thing and this particular time when this key was magically found by this officer who wasn't even really supposed to be there not only did he not sign in on the call sheet that he was there but it was also at a time when he was alone nobody was watching him of course yeah so in my opinion, they definitely there. There's enough reasonable doubt. So, but he's in prison, as is his nephew. They're they're both in prison right now. Um, they were convicted, but absolutely, there seems to me to be 
reasonable doubt. Now, I don't think Stephen is a stand-up guy. He he did do some things in the past. Like, he, you know, he's broken the law. And as young, I just remember something about, like, he, he abused an animal or something. So right. that's a, you know, that's a bad sign. But it doesn't necessarily make you a murderer. Right. And for me, the evidence is not there in this particular case. Right. At the same time, there's this part of me that's like, okay, if Stephen did not kill this woman, somebody did. And the question is, first of all, who did kill her? And two, how did the law enforcement then plant evidence on him? Like, did they find her somewhere else and then plant her? Because they found the big evidence was they found her bones, pieces of her bones in Stephen's fire pit. So they do have a body. They don't have a whole body, but they have her bones in his fire pit. So she is, in fact, dead. And someone put her body in a fire pit. And they were charred. They were on fire. And Stephen's blood is in her car. Yeah, that doesn't look good. Except for they had collected Stephen's blood for that rape case 18 years earlier. Oh, yeah. And in the documentary, they show Stephen's defense attorneys... Go get the evidence from that first case and the package that has his blood in it has been cut. The seal has been cut. Mm. They pull out the tube of his blood and on the top of the tube is a pinprick where a needle could have gone through there. And they double checked with the lab and said, do you guys do this? Is this what you would have done? Would you have tested this blood by putting a needle through this little, you know, cap here? And they said no. Right. So absolutely it appeared that someone could have tampered tampered, and literally gotten a syringe full right. of his blood and planted it. Absolutely. That's what it sounds like to me. Right? There's enough of that evidence. The, the thing that stops me is just like, are we saying that the police killed her? I have a hard time with that. Overall, I believe most police are good guys. There's some bad ones. Don't get me wrong. There's some really bad ones. But like, I don't know, to murder a woman just to frame some guy you don't like, that seems pretty out there to me. Or perhaps they know who did it and they're trying to, or at least one cop is trying to protect that one person that did commit the crime. So they're framing this guy who, you know, the community doesn't really think is a stand-up guy. Which, that that's what I lean more towards. But it does still mean getting her body or her bones or whatever, moving it. You're going to move a woman's bones and plant them and then plant her car on the property and then, like, cover and you, it. That's like a big project yeah it is so that's this that's making a murderer and but i definitely tend to think that you know i can't say that he's not guilty but i don't think it was proven like i think there's reasonable doubt yeah i i agree reasonable doubt yeah all right what what other case you got okay so flight 1771 have you heard of that Mm, it's not ringing a bell okay So this flight was scheduled to fly out of Los Angeles to San Francisco on December 7th, 1987. U.S. Air had recently fired David Burke for petty theft of $69, but he was also suspected of being involved in a narcotics ring. So 
He got fired. What was his, what was he before? Like, was he a pilot or a... So I believe he was a ticket agent. And he met with his manager, Ray Thompson, to try and get his job back. But that didn't work. He bought a plane ticket and boarded flight 1771. He borrowed a gun from an employee and was able to get past security because his employee credentials had not yet been terminated. So the plane reaches 22,000 feet and David writes a note on an air sickness bag that reads, Hi Ray, I think it's sort of ironical that we end up like this. I asked for some leniency for my family, remember? Well, I got none and you'll get none. It's unclear if he gave the note to Ray, who was also on the flight, because this was his way to commute back and forth from his home in San Francisco. The exact events to unfold were unclear, but from the audio they pieced together that David shot Thompson twice and then went into the cockpit and shot the pilots. <gasps> and a flight attendant who opened the door to see what was going on. Holy cow. I know. And this is another thing I'm afraid of is flying. So <laughs> stories, stories like this don't exactly um, help in that department. <laughs> no. So he fired two more rounds and then the audio picked up what sounded like a rush of wind. The plane went down in the Santa Lucia Mountains. It was said to have been going down so fast, it was slightly faster than the speed of sound. Oh um, yeah, the plane hit a rocky hillside and all 43 passengers and crew died. That's terrifying. I know. It's, it's bad enough that you want to commit suicide or, you know, get revenge on the company that fired you. But to take down innocent people that had nothing to do with it. Right. That's beyond selfish. That That's my whole thing with, like, this these murder-suicides. It's like, you know what? You want to kill yourself. I mean, don't. Please don't. You're you're hurting people. Right. You're leaving people behind who do care and love you. And that's it's a selfish thing, I believe. I believe suicide is very selfish. But if you just absolutely have to do it, then fine. But to hurt other people in the process, to kill other people in the process, that's the part I don't get. Right. I agree. Like, just, don't take out other people with you. Right. And then what a way to go, yeah. too. I'm just going to, like, bring this plane down. That's insane. Yeah. So the only good thing that came out of it were several federal laws were passed after the crash including law that required immediate seizure of all airline and airport employee credentials. So if you get terminated, your stuff is immediately, like all of your paperwork and your passes are seized, and you can't get back into the building. They escort you out, and that's it. Okay. You can't get back in unless you have bought a ticket. Okay. And another policy was also implemented stipulating that all airline, flight crew, and airport employees were to be subject to the same security measures as the airline passengers. Okay. So if that happened today, he would have been stopped. They would have found the gun on him and said, nope, you're out of here. Okay, but that, so I was wondering how he got on with the gun. So back then, as an employee, you, right. you don't. He just flashed his badge and walked right on. Okay. Yeah, it's All not right. like that today. Right. Thankfully. Yes, absolutely, thankfully. Talk about a disgruntled employee. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? Like, haven't we all had jobs that we didn't like or we didn't think we were treated fairly? Or, or uh, Paula and I were just talking about that earlier, earlier today. today. <laughs> uh, you know, a job that we, we both shared that neither one of us necessarily loved. <laughs> Did not feel appreciated. Right. We Right. But to hurt somebody or, you know, up to and including, you know, maybe the people that didn't make us feel 
very good. I, the thought never crossed my mind. To... Same here. After I left, I never once had a malicious thought to be like, oh, well, I'm going to get you. It was more like, woohoo, fresh start. Exactly. Looking to, to my future. That's right. it. Right. And I'm honestly able to look back and say, thank you for what you provided to me. That was a great job. I was a single mom. I was able to buy a house with that job. Like, I, I met some of my best friends in the right. whole world. I learned a lot. Like, how? I don't know. Yeah, it's a stepping stone. It might not be great at the time, but eventually it will lead you onto the next stone where you're supposed to go. Right. Right. Where we, if not for that job, Paula, you and I would not be here right now. Nope. Dolls and Doom would not exist. That's true. How? See, you have to be thankful for everything. Everything happens for a reason. That's true. Mm -hmm. Even when you don't feel that way, it's still true. That's right. Okay, so we all know the story of Ted Bundy, so I'm not going to go into details, but if you're not super familiar, he was smart and charming and killed at least 30 women. Um, He got the death penalty in Florida, and I'm one of those that actually has a favorite serial killer, and Ted is mine. He was so smart that the way he handled himself in court and the fact that he chose to represent himself was super ballsy. Oh, for sure. So a really good TV series on Amazon Prime, if you'd like more info or just a different perspective, is called Falling for a Killer. Um, that's actually through the eyes of his girlfriend and her daughter. Yes. So yes. They, they lived with him and they were in a long-term relationship. And he even contacted her, I think, right before yes. he got... He did. He wrote her yeah. a letter, but he, but her daughter took it and hid it. That's right. And she intercepted it and yeah. held on to it and threw it away and wouldn't threw let her mom read it. Because this woman was so in love with Ted. But she turned him in. Like, she... Yeah, she's she, the one that called the cops and said, Hey, I have a boyfriend that looks like this drawing and he drives a Volkswagen bug. Right. She wasn't compla- complacent at all, but she loved him. Right. And But uh, she also wanted to do the right thing. Right. And, and she did. So I... I can't blame her at all but I do remember that was really actually kind of touching thing when the the letter came from him I remember her daughter hiding it and throwing it away because she didn't want her mom getting sucked back in yeah that was really sweet right but at the same time imagine you're the woman and you're in love with this man who just happens to be a serial killer we all know love is ridiculous (laughs) and makes no sense you know what I mean and um and it was like his last goodbye kind of thing. And yep. It, it was stolen from you. you right. You didn't get to read it. You didn't get to see it. Like, that would be hard. Right. But she obviously did it for a reason because she knows her mom would get sucked in again. Right. And probably it would bring up all these old feelings sure. that she had so many years of trying to push back and get sure. over. And that, that that was also Ted's daughter. He was her father, right? Well, step daughter oh that's right that's right she already had this daughter when ted came into the picture yes you're right you're right okay also on amazon or actually i think it is nope it's netflix extremely wicked shockingly evil and vile it's with zach efron he plays ted and he gets mad kudos i think he's terrific and so is the costume department because if you take a photo of -hmm. ted especially in the courtroom with the bow tie and the hair it looks exactly like the real ted bundy yeah, I, that was really good. Yeah. Good movie. I watched that. Yeah. G- going back to uh, this, the stepdaughter, he was always very kind yeah. to her. He, yeah. He, that's what's crazy to me is, first of all, Ted Bundy is 
Oh, like I would have been head over heels in love with him. Oh, me too. He was so charming. So charming. So funny. So smart. Mm -hmm. And I love smart. Um, Good looking. And very kind to his girlfriend. Yeah. And her daughter. Never once cruel or mean. Right. Never once how you would expect a serial killer to be. Right. I mean, there's videos of him playing with the little girl and like hoisting her up in the air and, you know, having picnics in the sand at the beach. I want to say, and I could be a little off my details, but I want to say that, like, he taught her to ride a bike. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and she, you know, every time she rides a bike, she thinks about Ted, because he taught her. Right. And it was a a really beautiful, like, father-daughter kind of moment. Yeah. He's fascinating. And then how many times did he escape prison? Two or three? Two that I know of for sure. He, I mean, the man is brilliant. Yeah. It just... Oh, it's crazy to me. Yeah. I know he escaped prison and then he jumped out of a second story window. In he, court. In court, yeah. <laughs> he said he needed to use the phone and he was unsupervised, so he just opened the window and jumped out. Yes. And, and then just walked down the street like he didn't run. Right. Because that would obviously attract attention, so he just walked casually away. And- right. And both times I want to say he probably would have uh, stayed, you know, unfound longer but I think both times, maybe it was, like, cold or, like, he kind of got tired of hiding out. I think once, wasn't he in a cave or something like that? Yeah, or, like, yeah, somewhere in the woods. Yeah. And, and it was he, cold. And he just got got tired, and so he walked back into town and was like, hey, I'm Ted Bundy. Well, he stole the car in Florida. That's where he was found. And Yes. So, yeah, it was a stolen car. And he likes his Volkswagen bugs. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just another era, like, hey, pull this guy over. Right. Something else that sticks out. Um, for me on his case is when he was sentenced to death the judge said yep I know what you're gonna say yes <laughs> said something along the lines of I wish I could have worked with you in a different capacity because right. you have you could have been something amazing and it's really upsetting that you chose to use your power for evil kind of thing because you right. are, you're brilliant and you could have done so many amazing things. Yeah, I respect your mind, but you're a horrible you chose person. the wrong path. Right, and, I, you know, what a powerful thing to say from Absolutely. a judge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Lastly, I wanted to share a small bit of personal experience. So my boyfriend and I love to travel, and one of our trips was to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, one of our favorite places. Ours, too. <laughs> So we went to the Alcatraz East exhibit, which has a ton of cool stuff. We went there. I went there on my honeymoon. Oh, fun. Yes. That is a great great museum. I have to show you all my pictures. Yes. So one of the cool things that I saw and actually took photos of was the 1968 Volkswagen Beetle that Bundy owned. He drove two, one that he owned in Utah, and this is the one that I saw, Mm -hmm. and then, of course, the one that he stole in Florida. And it's one thing to hear the stories or watch the Amazon Netflix special, but it was completely different to see it. I think one of them was, um, I think it was the OJ van, and I think that was yes. a replica. Uh-huh. But the one of Ted Mudney said this is the actual Actual bug. vehicle. And just like staring at a piece of history. Absolutely. It was just surreal. You know, you. I'm sure they probably, their exhibits probably change. Um, but when we were there, they had John Wayne Gacy's clown suit and some of his drawings that he drew in prison of clowns oh cool yeah creepy but cool yeah um they also had a a gorgeous by gorgeous beautiful moving um 
9-11, September 11th tribute there. Yes, they had that one I went to. Yes, and that like actual pieces of the building. And um, that's close to my heart. Uh, I mentioned my dad's in law enforcement, and my dad actually worked at Ground Zero. After that, he went up there and worked at the temporary morgue and um, actually on the grounds while they were still burning. Two weeks oh later, God. it was still burning. Um, and he went up there so that to be able to see you know, a piece of building that my dad may have right. helped, you know, cipher through. Very emotional. Was, yeah, yeah. To know somebody who actually was there, the aftermath. And actually, um, we also have a friend who was a firefighter who actually got trapped in the buildings up there on the day of. Oh, my God. But was able to get out. Oh, good. Um, and save several people along the way. Wow. It's pretty amazing. So That is. Yeah, if you get a chance, check out Alcatraz in Pigeon Forge. It's great. Yeah. Great museum. Yeah. They have a lot of different sections. Absolutely. If you really if you cool. love crime, I mean it it's just chock full of full of stuff. You can spend hours there. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well those are some of our cases that we find especially interesting or you know, each one of them could probably be covered in depth. Right. If you have any cases that you'd like for us to discuss or, or talk about or any tidbits, then Feel free to email us at dollsanddoom at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at dollsanddoomthepodcast, Facebook, dollsanddoomthepodcast. Like, follow, rate us on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Well, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. We'll bring you a new episode every Friday. Stay safe, stay kind. Stay aware. Absolutely. I'm Cynthia. I'm Paula. And we are Dolls and Doom. Bye. Bye.